0: Tony, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. It's my privilege, and I appreciate that you're even interested. Thank you, sir. So let's start at the beginning. You were a good student growing up, graduated Stanford. Why law school?
1: Well, it was a fallback position. After uh, I was a philosophy major at Stanford, and frankly, I had kind of uh, romantic uh, notions of expatriating and becoming kind of a a poet and a writer and not really succeeding but you know like a flower blossoming on the desert kinda unseen and unappreciated. So I went to Morocco and a lot of expatriates were there and it was an year remember I'm old. So this was like in the the fifties, and you know there were lots of uh, Americans and French and uh, English Canadians, lots of lots of people from different countries, and a very uh, sophisticated literary scene there. And somehow, and I was a jock, so I remember at Stanford I played baseball, football, and I boxed, and you know I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I you know this this was an era that preceded marijuana. So I was kind of like a, 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 an athlete in uh, very uh, pure in a way, but I fell in. All of these writers, these expatriated, uh, you know, people in Morocco at that time—I'm talking mainly Tangier—they um, were uh, using junk. They were shooting up, you know, uh, heroin. They were smoking the opiates. And I didn't like that. Uh, you know, it offended my sense of health. <laughs> so I it was a fallback. So I said, oh, what the hell, I'll go to, to law school. And I applied from Morocco. And I used to get good grades, and so they accepted me With without, normally, you know, you're tested and you have to go through a whole ritual before you're accepted. And both uh, UC Berkeley is a very good law school and their standards are high but I was accepted and then I came back, you know, and took the, the necessary tests. And then the first year I was like number 11 out of about 320, so I did quite quite good. And then uh, the second year I went, uh, you know, I took off and went to India for a year. Then I came back and I finished, you know, two more years. Then after I graduated, I uh, went to South America for a year. So I've always been a mixed, uh, what would I call it, the uh, uh, practice of law, preparation for the practice of law with uh, travel. So um, it, it was uh, a fallback position from the, you know, the kind of, I think, probably over-romanticized the belief that I could uh, write and create poetry in Morocco.
0: And upon graduation became a prosecutor. and I've seen you say that your time in that role is the time you regret uh, you tried thirty five cases in eleven months. Why is that?
1: no i I uh, wanted to be a trial lawyer. I did not want to be an office lawyer. I wanted to try cases. I wanted even at that earliest stage to keep people out of what I call steel boxes, you know, the jails and the incarceration and all of uh, whatever you want to call it, the pain and suffering that goes along with it. So I had a strong uh, empathy in that direction. So I want to be a trial lawyer and I want a trial experience. So I went to all the public defenders uh, in the Bay Area and they go, no, you got to be on the counter for one year, man. You won't get into court until at least a year. Back then that was true, not now. And I, then I said, no, you know, And so I then went around to DA's offices and uh, uh, Alameda says, you come here, you'll be in court next day, you know? So I said, that's what I want. So I went there, I was there 11 months, I had uh, 34 jury trials. So I had more trials than any other of my peer group graduating. So in a sense, I was well ahead. So I took off. I went into the 8 Ashbury. I opened my own office. I started representing, you know, all, all people. That were you know, the protesters at SF State, the protesters that were UC Berkeley, uh, I represented, you know, most of, uh, all the early groups, uh, SLA and New World Liberation Front, uh, uh I represented, uh, the, uh, various, uh, gangs, you know, the Black Panthers, the White Panthers, uh, the Hells Angels, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, I started a very, uh, active career uh, out of the Haight-Ashbury, and uh, it was uh, predicated on uh, political reform and, you know, uh, uh, fighting government. I started at the earliest stage to fight government. I used to sleep in the Black Panther's headquarters um at night because they were expected to be raided and you know, they had sandbags. so in those days you could have rifles, so they had rifles, they were ready, you know, to have a shootout and uh they wanted a so called white lawyer to be there to try to, you know, mediate uh to, to be maybe a observer or maybe to be the first one shot. Who the heck knows? So I, I uh slept both in the Panther House in San Francisco and in Oakland and I met Huey, uh Newton, you know, uh, uh, the, the uh, Black Panther leader, a beautiful man, a very uh, gifted intellect, a uh, master of the Old Testament. Uh, being of the Old Testament, he was like a, you know, a Hebrew scholar in a way. And uh, then uh, when he left, and then he came back. Remember, from China and Cuba, I represented him in a uh, murder case and got him acquitted. So it kind of launched me into national prominence. That case it was, uh, you know, uh, it was political. It was uh, the media was there in abundance. Uh, it was attended by uh, sellout crowds. That is. The courts were packed, the halls were packed, the whole building was surrounded. It was, for me, a fabulous time. The 60s, for me, was fabulous, representing, you know, the political entities then that uh, in, in the heart of which was uh, anti-establishment, uh, demonstrating against establishment, a lot of times doing what they call actions against the establishment for which there was, uh, how would I call it, criminal uh, uh, charges. So, sixties um, uh, for me were—I always call the golden age of, uh, of of practice because judges were interested in throwing cases out if there was constitutional violations. Juries really believed in reasonable doubt. Jesus, I—you know—I went through. I, I was doing back-to-back jury trials just like a public defender, and I would seldom lose in those days. I used to say, I can hang anything, you know? And, you know, this is all predicated on me doing everything pro bono. So in in the early stages, I was doing most of all of it pro bono. You know, I would would take a case here and there to pay the rent, to pay whatever you want to call it, gasoline in the car. But um, I later took what I call a vow of poverty that I... I never wanted to capitalize off of uh, law. I don't want profit. I'm kind of a Marxist in that respect. And, uh you know, I, I took what I needed to support my office. If I took a fee, I would use sometimes the money for other uh, free cases where, you know, there were costs and and uh, maybe witness uh, uh, investigations, et cetera, et cetera. But um, uh, I still have lived behind the so-called vow of poverty. Uh, I um, San Francisco rents are the highest in the country. Uh, my building starts at two thousand five hundred a unit. I still pay four hundred. So you know, I I, I live uh, very frugally. I don't um, have any lavish expenses in my life. I am 99.9% lawyer, and, you know, it's uh sometimes for other types, it's a hard road to hoe because it's a workaholic's wife. But um, from my perspective, you know, not guilty in a criminal case is kind of the highest calling of the profession, and that's what I've sought after all these years.
0: That's right, and you mentioned Huey Newton and some of the other cases you've taken on. Why do you think it's so critical to represent those whom the general public deems so undesirable? That's something you've done your whole career. Why is that so important to you? It's a cornerstone of your career.
1: Well, the measure of you know the judicial uh, integrity, the judicial process, the constitutional government, the measure of it is how you treat the rejects, how you treat the impoverished, how you treat the insane, how you treat those who have uh, aberrated behavior, those who have aberrated ideology. The system isn't measured by, you know, how the criminal justice system treats a rich white man. That, you know, has always been, whatever you want to call it, a uh, Uh, in my opinion, kind of the fallacy within the alleged system that we have, that there's one kind of case for the rich and there's another for the poor. So I did gravitate toward the anti-establishment. Most of the time they harbored, when they were intellectual, you know, anti-establishment philosophy. I'm anti-establishment. Understand I've been uh, to prison, you know, two occasions, on three different occasions. I've been convicted of willful failure to file and to pay, not fraud. Fraud is felony. I don't file, and I don't pay, and I go to jail. I have no assets, so they can't, you know, uh, uh, seize anything for back taxes, so... Every decade I go to jail. The last time I went, I it was a 10-month sentence. I go to a camp. I work in the camp. I uh, wrote four books while I was there. I helped everyone with their writs and with their appeals. And my God, I, you know, uh, since I wasn't disbarred because why I went was for a cause. California Bar was very good to me. They understood it was a cause that I don't pay my taxes. And uh, they uh, did not take my license. And therefore, in in, uh, jail, in prison, uh, I'm allowed to help people. And I started doing civil things, you know, like helping them in domestic relations or contracts or, you know, credit issues and bankruptcy issues. It was fabulous. You know, for me, it was fabulous. It would be uh, like a dentist. I'd sit out there and one after the next would come, you know, and I'd hear their tale and most of the time it was sad, man. You know, they're in there. They don't think they're guilty. They're in there. They didn't get a good deal. They're in there because they didn't trust their lawyer. They're in there because of stitches. I would hear you know, story after story. And it, it uh for me, see, practice the law is a calling. It's almost like a religious calling. It's not something like for most lawyers, a bean store to end. They are materialistic. Oh, they like uh, big boats or uh, you know airplane uh, trips to Europe. Uh, uh, I don't know houses, and I, I don't even understand it all because I'm completely non-materialistic. I like color. I've always enjoyed you know chromatic kind of interpretation of things, and uh, uh, you know I guess it's a, it's in my blood in the sense that. Uh, my brothers and all my kids, I have five kids, are all doing something artistic. None of them went into, I'll call it that side of the brain, you know, that becomes what I call semantic analytic, which is the lawyer's side of the brain. They all went into aesthetic, into art, into culture, and I guess my little residue of that. Is that uh, you know? I'm, I'm non-materialistic, and I uh, uh, I enjoy uh, aesthetics. I enjoy you know art. I enjoy uh, theater. I enjoy going to museums. I uh, enjoy classical music. Uh, so it's interesting. I'm a mixed bag. I guess we're all mixed bags.
0: And you mentioned your representation of members of the Black Panthers, the White Panthers, Hells Angels, SLA. How tough is it in those cases to overcome the initial, you know, let's be honest, presumption of guilt that's imposed upon these folks by prosecutors, the jury, society in general?
1: I've had very good results in jury trials. You know, I'm considered one of the best. Uh, Now I'm old, you know, obviously not as uh, acute as I used to be when I was much younger. So it didn't, somehow, you know, you seize upon some high ground. In every case, there's high grounds. You know, sometimes whatever it is that it's an informant case or it's a self-defense case. You know, uh, sometimes uh, the gang allegation is false. Sometimes, uh, you know, the the. The persons have a form of uh, dementia. Uh, I, you know, the, the theme of the jury trial is to seize the high moral issue, abstract it, and then present it. You know, and let that overshadow, let's call it, the, the direct evidence. Let's say of criminal activity. You turn it into a passion play, into a moral, you know, uh, like a vote for the prosecution is a vote, I would say nowadays, for Trump, you know. and Out here, we're completely anti-Trump, so it, it, it resonates with the jury. So you, you I always say you've got to kind of redraw the arena in which the litigation occurs. If you stay within the frame of the prosecution, you lose. You're on the train, you know, to prison. So you have to remove it and, you know, say, this case is about a projurious informant. It's not about my client. He was induced. He was draft, that kind of stuff. And I'm known to be kind of loud, passionate, uh, uh, bellicose when required, uh, defiant, uh, I uh, pride myself that in my youth I was held in contempt more times than any lawyer probably around, maybe any lawyer. I went to jail frequently because I wouldn't uh, bow down. I wouldn't supple, you know, supplicate myself like uh, to the dictatorial authority of some of the judges. I wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, pretend I, um, I'm making a closing argument and the DA objects and the judge says, you know, Mr. Suri, you're going far uh, astray. And I'll say, this is America. I'm a lawyer. I'm speaking on behalf of my client. You know, you can silence me. So I, I, I would. I, I was known for going in their face. And as a consequence, oh, my God, I did jail in Marin. I did jail in two different uh, jails in San Francisco. I did uh, jail in San Mateo County. I did jail in uh, uh, San Jose, uh, Santa Clara County. And then, of course, I've uh, In terms of filing taxes, I've been a tax resistor my entire career, so I've never paid taxes. And, you know, I've been prosecuted three times on that, given probation once, and two times going into uh, uh, federal prison camps. So I'm very active still. Like this morning, I did the—there's a case out here that's fairly prominent— only because Trump used it kind of as a poster image for his election. So it's a illegal immigrant who picks up a bag, it has a gun, it goes off, it shoots sadly. A woman, it's on the pier, and he got uh, convicted not of the, the homicide in the state court. I didn't have it, the public defender had it, but only of ex-felon uh, with a gun. And then it went federal and so it's a political kind of case. And as you might know, there's a new Supreme Court case that has given cert as to double jeopardy issues with separate sovereign, you know, doctrine. They may abandon separate sovereign doctrines. Been with us a hundred and fifty years, but the Supreme Court just took a case and they wouldn't have taken unless some of the justices thought that, you know, it's time to uh kind of rid ourselves of The federalism that is creeping over the court system, especially under the present administration, so that was a meaningful case. The cameras were all there, you know. You make press statements afterwards, and so that that was just this morning. And whatever, um, uh, I'm 84, almost 85, but I'm up at five, and I work, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. I work on weekends. Uh, my kids are all grown up and, you know, kind of scattered throughout
0: the United States. So I give myself entirely to my practice. And one of the best you are. And you're certainly a lawyer who we'd refer to as a high-profile lawyer. But you've never been known as a celebrity lawyer or a white-collar lawyer. Is that by design or is your heart just elsewhere?
1: Well, both of those things. I won't represent establishment. So I'm not representing like political people who, you know, straight political people. I'm not representing police. I'm not representing stockbrokers or bankers or wall street types. I don't do business, uh, types of, uh, crime, white collar crime. I, uh, you know, I'm known, I, I, I I'm in the gutter, man. I'm in the streets. I uh, fight for the uh, underdog, the uh, discriminated, uh, you know, uh, uh, person, the, the person without assets, or the person, you know, has been uh, persecuted for a lifetime. So I have a whole different orientation. See, a lot of criminal defense lawyers, oh boy, they love it when they get a stockbroker, they can charge him 100000 SOP, the guy's got money, you know, his career's on the line. I'm not in the money and I'm not into representing people whose, uh, you know, political philosophy or capitalistic kind of, uh, over the dominance, uh, the, you know, creates their behavior. Uh, uh, those people aren't my people. So you, you gotta know, you know, what your milieu is. You gotta gain strength by representing that milieu and, As you open this uh, interview up, you did indicate that I represent the underdog. I'm not going to be representing anyone with uh, any uh, establishment pedigree.
0: In your style in the courtroom, you could tell that passion is so genuine. Where does that come from? Is it your upbringing, some experience in your life, your education perhaps? Well,
1: they call me the true believer. Remember there was a movie with James Woods called True Believer, It purportedly was about one of my cases, a death penalty case that I won, but you know, it was only 10% accurate. It was a big disappointment for me, although I think it did well. The true believer that made money, you know, was a, it was a major release. the, the uh, concept of true believer, someone who believes, someone, you know, who actualizes his idealism, uh, someone who practices without ulterior materialistic motives, that comes from unknown variables. Is it your DNA? Was it your social, you know, upbringing? Was it, uh, did, uh, probably, probably, where it came from me is that I was, uh, you know, a philosophy major with an English minor, and I used to read, man, I used to read and read and read. Be nothing for me to read, you know, like I'm reading a book, it's 1400 pages, and I would read every night or whatever, every spare time I would read, and I think it's the reading, That that enculturated me, that impregnated me me with the notion that life is more than making a buck, you you know? And that no one's free until everyone's free. And if there's a segment of a culture that isn't free and who's dominated and, you know, either coercively or corruptly, that's, you know, the place that a lawyer is needed. So I've always said this, I, all my life, I represent the antithesis. The antithesis is something, you know, it's the opposition. It's the uh, minority. It's the anti-establishment. And the uh, thesis is the main, you know, theme, political, and moral of the establishment. Uh, You know, if we're talking Marxism, the thesis... It uh, begets the antithesis, the antithesis of the feces merge. That's called a synthesis. And the synthesis becomes the new establishment, uh, the moral uh, precept. Uh, it becomes, you know, the, the theme again. The, and it's a um, way that things evolve. So my role is to represent, wherever it is, the dissident view, the objection. You know, I tell I go into law schools, talk. You know, to young lawyers, and I said, you're going to learn one word, man, and you're going to use it all your life. And it's got 25 different meanings, and you've got to give it content by intonation and by, you know, uh, how you say it. And that word's objection. I object, Your Honor. I object, Your Honor. Objection, Your Honor. You know, like, like in that one word, we are defiant. In that one word, we are oppositional. In that one word, we are activistic. And, uh, you know, we've got to sing it out loud. We have to, you know, cherish it. We have to nurture it. Because the way, way things are going. You know, especially in the present administration, they're going to eliminate fucking jury trials. They're going to at least eliminate that the jury has to be unanimous. Already there's a movement that 11, you know, is enough. And, uh, we're threatened in that respect. And we're threatened by judges who are unfair. You know, a lot of judges, you think, oh, they're the, they're, they're the goalie in this. And, and uh, they're the referee. And then you find out, no, there's a goalie. You get around the DA. You get around the evidence. You get around the jury instructions. You're ready for a victory. And then you see who blocks you. It's the judge. So, you know, we need a better system than we have. Because right presently, Trump has appointed more judges, you know, in the time he's in than any other previous one. He's back to courts. He's back to courts with mostly white men who are conservative he's putting them on the supreme court we're going to live with that heritage for at least another 50 years and it changes really the face of you know our culture and certainly changes the priorities in the criminal uh jurisprudence uh, segment
0: and actually, you touched on something that I wanted to talk about for just a second. What could law schools do to modify their course of study to stop pumping out... Uh... No, they,
1: they started doing it. you got two kinds of law schools. you got the best law schools, and they, for the most part, you know, teach academics. And, you know... I've had some great professors and I can still remember on occasion their some of their words. Then you've got a great number of lesser law schools, some accredited and some not. And they do what you're talking about. They make sure that their students, you know, intern with law offices, intern with public defender or DA. They you know, are taught like what office you go to file a motion or who you serve the motion on, all, the, all of the little practicalities that most law schools, you know, in the past and all the good law schools, they don't really don't get down to that detail. And now the small law schools do. So when they graduate from law school, they've had jury experience, you know, they've had, uh, you know, they help bright motions, uh, they're ready to fly instead of when you graduate from a a major law school, it takes a year or so to get into the practicalities, into the mechanics of practice, and uh, that is being taught now, I think, uh, steadfastly and dutifully in uh, law schools except not as much I'm talking like Yale and Harvard and, you know, Bolt Hall and Stanford and uh, USC. And, uh, you know, those law schools, I, and rightfully, they produce the judges and they produce, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the law of uh, the instructors and teachers so that they uh, emphasize more academic, academics, uh, you know, case law and, and uh, uh, uh... supreme court uh, constitutional issues you know then the the run-of-the-mill let's call it accredited uh, law school of lesser repute
0: understood tony it's been so great you to join us You're such a fascinating guy thanks so much for taking the time to do this once again no it's my uh, privilege and thank you